Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. The leader of New York State's Democratic Party is personally endorsing Governor Kathy Hochul for election in the June 2022 Democratic primary and the general election next November. And he's asking other potential candidates who have expressed an interest in challenging Hochul to hold off for now, saying multiple candidates competing in a primary could be chaotic and harmful to the party's chance of winning next November. Hochul replaced Andrew Cuomo in August. With more, the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Democratic Party Chair Jay Jacobs says his endorsement of Hochul, who took office August 24th after former Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned in a sexual harassment scandal, is a personal one. He says it does not reflect the will of the county chairs or the Democratic State Committee. But he says Hochul has already shown that she's capable, and he believes she can best win next November against a Republican candidate, as well as help down-ballot Democrats get elected. We have a governor that has proven she can do the job and do it with distinction. We have a governor who we know can win against any Republican candidate they put up in the fall. And we have a governor who by any measure has earned our support. Jacobs asked other potential candidates to hold their powder for now and give Hochul a chance. He says a party torn apart by multiple candidates would exhaust precious resources and divide Democrats. Ambition is a necessary trait in our business. But no one should supplant the unity and success of our party with their own ambition. Attorney General Tish James, New York City public advocate Jamani Williams, and New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio are all considered to be potential candidates. Williams has announced an exploratory committee, and James is embarking on a statewide tour to promote settlements with opioid manufacturers. Jacob says he considers James a friend, and he credited her for going after alleged corruption by the Trump Organization and for her reports that uncovered a potential cover-up of nursing home deaths by the Cuomo administration, as well as the AG's report that found the former governor sexually harassed 11 women. I respect her tremendously, and I understand her position. I think she's got to use her own judgment and then see what the, if this is right for her. But Jacob's announcement can also be read as a warning to former Governor Cuomo. Cuomo issued a letter to supporters Monday morning. In it, he said the scandal that led to him leaving his job was an obvious effort by some to use Albany politics to do what the people of the state would not allow them to do at the ballot box and remove him from office. He also called the report by A.G. James the weaponization of harassment claims that he says contributes to New Yorkers' cynicism and distrust. Jacobs was chosen by Cuomo for the job of party chair, but he ultimately joined the other Democratic Party leaders in calling for Cuomo's exit. Jacobs commented on Cuomo's letter. Well, um, it's a less than friendly statement. Jacobs says Cuomo was among those he made a courtesy call to early Monday before his announcement, but Jacobs says the former governor did not share with him any future political intentions. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. 
Joining us now, Legislative Gazette Political Observer Alan Shartok. Alan, this week you spoke to the head of the Democratic Party, Jay Jacobs, about the news he made. He came out and personally endorsed Governor Kathy Hochul, as you pointed out, and he agreed with a message also going to former Governor Andrew Cuomo, not so fast. But as you and Jacobs talked about, there is the potential for what? The former governor to enter the race. If you know Andrew Cuomo the way I think I do, and if you've watched him for these years, you know that he can be pretty unprincipled and he can do what he thinks is good for him. A lot of people have counted him out. Now, if you get a primary for governor with five or six or four people in it dividing the vote, if you get a guy like Cuomo, who a lot of people still like, I know because I get these letters from people saying he's my governor, he's the best governor we ever had, I wish he was the president of the United States right now, and this is what we need. Those are people who are going to go out and vote for him. Now, he also has and enjoys a name recognition that not everybody else has. So it's going to be quite a Dunnybrook. And I think Jacobs knows it. I think the present governor, Hochul, is putting as much pressure on people to get in line as she possibly can. And the idea is to scare everybody else out of it, but it's not going to work. And that's where we're going. That's what we're going to see. And I wouldn't bet Hochul is going to survive this as a political power. I suspect that some of the others, including the very good attorney general, Letitia James, We'll go into the primary. If Cuomo doesn't, I would say James is going to have an awful lot of people voting for her. And you were careful to ask Jacobs, well, what if James gets in? She's a great speaker. She's done a lot already to prove herself. You know, if she gains traction, would he consider supporting her? And he said no. Well, he's come out, he's put his money on Governor Hochul, and he can't now say, well, if one thing happens, I'll do the other. He has to stay with what he said he was going to do. Look, he has now turned on the former governor. He was quite clear that they've had really contentious discussions, that he and the governor are not getting along at this stage of the game, and they've had a very tough time of it. It is, to me, a sign that the people who are supporting Hochul are quite worried and they're trying to scare everybody into supporting her no matter what. Another name got dangled out there this week, which is New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, who seems least interested in running for governor. Well, a lot of people are going, ha, 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 ha. That's pretty funny. De Blasio's got a tough situation. He's term limited, meaning he can't run for mayor again. So where is he going to go? Um, and uh, in this case, it looks like he's going to run for governor. Uh, what does he have to lose? Not much. He's not a popular mayor in New York. Uh, the idea that he would run for governor is extraordinary because upstaters aren't real happy about New Yorkers, New York Cityers, and they never have been which is why it's been very tough for mayors to advance upper-level uh, offices. But if you have nothing to lose, why not? The state ethics panel voted this week to mm -hmm. open an independent investigation of how the panel approved a $5 million book deal for former Governor Andrew Cuomo. The deal has been the subject of a probe by the state attorney general as well as federal investigators. The Joint Commission on Public Ethics, Jay Cope, called a special meeting to reexamine the panel's own decision made in the summer of 2020 to allow Cuomo to write a memoir about his leadership during the COVID-19 pandemic. Talk about an indictment against itself. 
Yeah, look, Jacob, everybody by now calls it Jacob, was formed with an eye towards protecting the governor of New York. At least it seems that way. He put his people on it, and as soon as you replace a couple of people, they take a different view. This does not inspire a lot of good feelings on the part of the electorate when they see this kind of nonsense going on. He Cuomo is now being considered likely by many people, including me, to go into the primary if he can. And if that's true, they're getting scared again. So now you see some of the very things that were talked about, which seem to have fallen off of the face of the earth, but now are being reinstated, the idea of investigating his book deal, in which he got $5.1 million for a book I don't think we'll ever see. In any case, that's where we're at. And I think that Cuomo is likely, if he can, to come into the primary and all of these Hochul people and everybody else are getting quite scared about that. So now you see the barricades going back up again, the kinds of things which were being threatened, legal action and everything else to prevent him from coming in. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Shartok. are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Albany County has formed an agreement with Suffolk and Westchester counties to electrify its motor pool. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports on the announcement. Albany County Executive Dan McCoy was joined by Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone, a fellow Democrat, to announce a new shared services partnership to procure electric vehicles together. McCoy says the combined purchasing power of the three counties will drive down the costs associated with transitioning away from fossil fuel-powered fleets. We were looking at Chevy Bolts originally, and they got the total recall. So when Steve Ballone was talking about doing this, and he took a leadership down there with Westchester County and George Latimer, I was like, what better way of doing this? putting three big counties, or they're actually a lot bigger than we are, purchasing power um, to drive that, that cost of electric vehicles down and, um, and seeing what we can get the best bang for the buck, so to speak, um, which benefits the taxpayers and, and it benefits the environment going forward. So it's a win-win situation what we're doing. I don't know. We could end up with Teslas. We talked about it because Teslas weren't much more than the Chevy Bolts. Um, so they weren't much more money. So we looked at that too. But we're going to look at what's the best price for the for all the three counties and hopefully more counties get on board going forward. Ballone is encouraging other counties to participate in the interests of building back after COVID with cleaner, greener energy. Throughout this pandemic, we have worked together. We have talked to each other, comforted one another at times. Um, but really, we've gotten through this by uh, doing it together. And uh, I can't thank Dan enough and and. Uh, the great leadership here. Uh, and this is another example of that, and I think a uh, model for what we need to be doing moving forward. And I think we will do that. 
uh, more. We're not done with COVID yet. We're not fully out of this crisis, but certainly we've learned enough lessons now. Albany County Legislature Chair Andrew Joyce is also a Democrat. We have an opportunity now uh, to do really good things. And we're going into our budget process for 2022, and we can continue all the great progress we've made in Albany County to be good stewards of the environment. Uh, we are in the midst of a climate crisis right now. Uh, it's not impending. It's not on the way. We are in a climate crisis as we speak. McCoy says electric vehicle charging stations are already planned to accommodate the updated fleet. He unveiled a new request for proposals, RFP, for a fleet inventory and electrification plan, as well as plans for installation of new dual-port public charging stations. We're going to be adding one at the Voorheesville Trailhead at the Omni County Rail Trail. We're adding one at the trailhead at the County Rail Trail of South Pearl Street, one located at our Ann Lee uh, National Preserve and Colony, and one at the Omni County County parking lot 208 Washington Ave, one at Lawson's Lake in Fairbush, two located at the county hockey facility and six more added to the Times Union Center. Officials say the new shared services procurement initiative allows for the local municipalities within each of the three counties to buy and lease electric vehicles as well. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. The Adirondack Council has issued a report that finds the steepness of some hiking trails in the Adirondack High Peaks are threatening their sustainability and should be rerouted as more and more hikers use the paths. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley explains. Many of the hiking trails in the Adirondacks were created shortly after the Civil War and run straight up the mountain with no sustained grades. Many of the most popular High Peaks trails have not changed, and overuse is highlighting the resultant erosion and deterioration. Adirondack Council Conservation Associate Charlotte Stotts describes some of the damage they found from natural and human erosion caused by unnatural steepness. What you'll see as you're hiking along trails that are heavily used are often they'll be gullied out. There will also be exposed roots and rocks that may not have been there originally when the hiking trail is put in, but as soil erodes away, it exposes those roots and rocks and creates tripping hazards, essentially. And then you can also see sections of trail that are very wide. And that's a result of people wanting to, they see some sort of obstacle or challenge and they want to avoid that. So they go off to the side of the trail and ultimately that widens the trail and spreads the impact. The study Stotts conducted found that due to soil composition and other factors, serious erosion is occurring in the Adirondacks on trails with an 8% or greater slope. The trails on the two mountains that were studied, St. Regis and Ampersand, exceed a 10% slope. Stotts also says a 2019 GIS analysis found that 167 miles of High Peaks trails exceed an 8% slope, a grade that is conducive to erosive damage. When the slope is too steep for a hiking trail, water just continues to run down the trail itself instead of shedding off of it, and that will speed up the erosion process. And when they're steeper, it's more likely that the soil will be easily kicked away as people are hiking. And that's really prevalent in the Adirondacks because when the trails were built, people weren't thinking about how steep the trail should be to make sure that they were going to last a long time. They were just concerned with 
getting from point A to point B, which is usually the summit of the mountain, as fast as possible. Protect the Adirondacks has also studied the steep slope and subsequent degradation of Adirondack trails. Executive Director Peter Bauer says some of the steepest trails have become streams, promoting more erosion. He is enthusiastic, though, about a model trail being built that illustrates sustainable trail construction methods. One of the most exciting things going on in the high peaks now is a new sustainable trail, a showcase trail that's being built up Mount Van Hovenberg. And this new trail follows the grade of the mountain. It's a longer trail, but it's a very gradual trail. It's a you know, 4, 5, 3% grade. makes it much easier for the hiking public to walk on. These trails are very labor-intensive to build, but we hope that they are really a model for the future and we can use them in many places in the high peaks. A link for more information is at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us on the Legislative Gazette this week is UUP President Fred Cole. That's United University Professions. A lot of folks think about that union and the idea of SUNY, but part of that involves more than 13,000 members at SUNY's public teaching hospitals in Brooklyn, Stony Brook, and Syracuse, as well as members who work in clinics and hospitals in Buffalo and SUNY College of Optometry in New York City. And that plays right into COVID, the current mandates that are going on, and the worries over shortages, staff shortages in hospitals at a particularly important time. Fred, first, welcome. And second, give us an update on what's happening in your area. Well, thanks very much for having me on, David. Yeah, it's been a very, very hectic last couple of weeks as we have been dealing with the mandate that, as you recall, originally was a comment made by the governor, Governor Cuomo, that is, back in late July, that he wanted to have all those working in state hospitals to be vaccinated as a, as a mandate. But with his departure, and it would have gone in this direction regardless, it was the Department of Health that under its authority under New York state law could issue such a mandate, and they did, for all those institutions that the Department of Health uh, licenses, and that includes the three SUNY public teaching hospitals. And that mandate was that anyone who was not vaccinated by September 27th would face discipline that could result in termination. So it put UUP in a difficult situation. We have been very public about our support for vaccinations. We have also been rather public about our support for mandates, seeing them as a necessary step to controlling and curbing the spread of COVID. But at the same time, we have a legal responsibility to represent our members at all times in any kind of disciplinary hearing or process. Fortunately, we worked very closely and very well and productively with the governor's staff 
And we were able to come to an agreement whereby those who were not vaccinated by the 27th and were then placed on what is called suspension without pay for two weeks, they would still have all of their rights that we have in our contract to file for arbitration. They would have representation um, and uh, could also use their leave time uh, to cover some of those days if they so chose and still get health insurance, which during a pandemic is pretty important. Um, And so that all served uh, to provide us with time uh, so that we undertook a very aggressive campaign of we were doing virtual panel discussions with our own members who are experts on vaccines, on COVID, and they were speaking directly to our members at the three hospitals, answering their questions and providing them with clear and at the same time, very compassionate messages about the necessity for vaccines and being vaccinated. And it went a long way to reducing the numbers that we are seeing of those who will face uh, disciplinary steps. Uh, And literally daily, we're seeing uh, individuals uh, showing up at their human resource offices with proof of having gotten the first vaccine, they're on their way to being vaccinated, and the combination of, yes, the threat of, of losing one's job while also hearing the facts about the safety of these vaccines and how important they are for our communities, that combination seems to be working very well in ensuring that uh, our members are on the job where they have been since COVID started and, uh, and, and in very tough circumstances. Because as you know, Dave, it's I've talked about this on other shows with you. The long-term underfunding of the SUNY hospitals is a tragedy in New York State, and that has resulted in real staffing crises at the hospitals, and the mandate could have made things a lot worse uh, than they already are. Uh, But when we get through this uh, period of getting everyone vaccinated, the next thing we've got to do is work with the governor and the legislature to get funding for these incredibly important uh, health care and education facilities. We are talking with Fred Cole. He's the president of UUP United University Professions. And the question first, Fred, is the idea of the numbers here. Now, as you said, it appears that these mandates are working. Far less have allowed themselves to be fired or let go or you know take leave than maybe we were first imagining. I'm wondering if you have any specific numbers, at least from your vantage point at UUP uh, and the SUNY teaching hospitals and other places, how many have actually taken advantage of this option? And I think what we have seen is originally, you know, we, we knew that about at most 10% of our members at the hospitals, and actually that, that goes across the board with our membership, about only about 10% um, were not yet vaccinated as of uh, the 27th um, of September or thereabouts. Um, and so our expectations were, and we did get some numbers from administration at the hospitals, uh, that we might have been looking at numbers as high as 500 or 600 individuals. Um, but by the time that the disciplinary notices went out to individuals who had not shown proof of vaccination on the 27th, uh, the actual number was down to around 300. Um, and many of them we were uncertain about. A lot of them were temporary employees. Hospitals do that. They bring in temps uh, to work a few days. These are individuals who might work at a number of different hospitals in specific roles. Uh, We knew we had a higher number of those temps 
at downstate in Brooklyn than at, for instance, upstate, where there are very few such employees. Um, and at upstate, uh, the numbers that we were hearing were down under 100 individuals facing discipline. Stony Brook, roughly the same. So, you know, we're, we were looking at about, you know, 250 to 300 individuals. And uh, what we're also seeing is since the 27th is people are getting vaccinated. And so the number continues to decline of those who potentially could face dismissal uh, at some point or, or termination. Um, but uh, the, we're, we're pleased to see the numbers dropping uh, for the very basic reason that that will ensure proper health care for everybody who needs it at the hospitals. And uh, and also it means people are getting vaccinated, which is the priority for this union. And it should be the priority for everybody. Take off your UUP hat, Fred. Just as a human being, do you ever think you'd see health care vaccines wrapped in politics? Never. And and it is appalling. I struggle with with words that can express my outrage and my anger. It is simply unconscionable the level of hypocrisy on the part of individuals in, um, you know, let's be you know straightforward here in Fox News, um, a corporation where everyone is required to be vaccinated or has to be tested daily. And yet their spokespeople, their so-called news individuals are talking about how, you know, people shouldn't be vaccinated. It's it's you know, it's against their their right to choose. Um, It's it's appalling. uh, And for uh, uh, America's so-called leaders uh, and specifically in the Republican Party to be trafficking in something that is destructive of human life and the communities in which we live. I, I I can't put into words how appalling it is that politics has reached the point where the pursuit of power and maintaining a passionate and angry base means you say things that endanger their lives, which is it's just appalling. Kind of like a political virus. In a way. Yes. Yep. He is Fred Cole, UUP president. That's United University Professions Higher Education Union. Fred, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to talking to you again. Thanks very much, Dave. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. Copies are available. Call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. As for program number 2141, or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.